Hello, everybody. Welcome. We're talking about Dow 20,000. Oh, wait, wrong year. Um, <laughs> this is a mess. But hey, we're here in the back room in our green room, and uh, we've got some wonderful guests here, and we'll do some introductions in reverse order. So actually, I don't think Liz needs intros, but Liz, uh, where are you calling in from? What are we talking about today? So. I am calling in from the same box that I've been kept in for the last three years, avoiding the box. Calling in from San Jose, California. What's up? Liz Miller with Constellation Research. Hey, everyone. Hey, it's awesome. Uh, Ray, where are you dialing in from? What are you talking about today? I'm uh, in Santa Clara at Propel Software's uh, corporate headquarters, and I'm going to talk about kind of the age of disruption and how we're seeing product companies become much more customer focused and um, driving some transformation in this crazy world of trying to get products to market fast and be market competitive. Sure. Excellent. Very cool. Thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, our distinguished guest, your questions live using hashtag Disrupt TV. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He's the CEO and founder of Constellation Research. He's the best-selling author of Everybody Wants to Rule the World, Surviving and Thriving in the World of Digital Giants. Ray is a regular television business and technology contributor on Fox Business, Yahoo Finance, CNBC, and Wall Street Journal. He's also a sought-after global keynote speaker, and in my humble opinion, one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter, at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks a lot. I'm here with my awesome co-host, Bala Afshar. He's the chief digital evangelist for Salesforce. He's also the author of The Pursuit of Social Business Excellence. Executives around the world pay attention to every one of his inspirational and insightful tweets. And when he's not hosting, keynoting, or leading events at Salesforce, you can find him speaking on business TV outlets such as Bloomberg and posting insightful analyses on Zenit and hobnobbing with global leaders. So <laughs> thanks for having me here. So back to you, Bala. Who do we have here to kick off our um, show? We all always have some awesome guests. It's not about us, it's about them. And uh, who kicks it off today? We are so fortunate, Ray, because we get the best and smartest CEOs in the world coming on show. And today's no exception. Our first guest is Ray Hine, uh, the CEO and co-founder of Propel Software, which helps product companies grow revenue and profit by connecting the people, system, processes needed to deliver products from concept to customer. Based on years of experience building and leading product management teams in both SaaS software and hardware companies, Ray launched Propel in 2015 to disrupt the fragmented product lifecycle management, PLM, and quality management markets. Prior to founding Propel, Ray served as Senior Vice President of Product Management at Aptis, 
where he was responsible for product strategy and new product launches. Ray's a thought leader and an inventor. He has been awarded three patents uh, covering product network effect and enterprise platform integration. You can follow Ray on Twitter at Ray underscore Hein, H-E-I-N underscore Propel, P-R-O-P-E-L. Welcome, Ray, to Disrupt TV. Well, Vella and another Ray, it's great to chat with another Ray because that's uh, usually not very many people have our name. But it's great to be here and uh, excited to be able to chat about what we're doing and how the whole market's changing. Thank you, Ray. Hey, you know, we're really excited to have you here. You work with some of the most innovative companies in high tech, med tech, consumer goods. Um, and these are industries where product design are essential. These are also industries where there's been mass amounts of disruption, not just in getting products out more quickly, but also dealing with everything from inflation, interest rates, inventory, supply chain disruptions. Um, and and these, are, these are hard things to do. So what are these big trends for product companies in these industries? And how has the world of PLM changed along with it? as form follows function? Yeah, no, that's a great question. You know, what, what we're seeing, I, I've been involved in product development, product design my whole career. I, I was early developing disk drives and computer modems back in the day when you had an old IBM PC half card that was 2400 baud and you could watch each character go across the screen when you were running an old school modem and, and launching products. But, you know, the, the world has changed radically in the sense that in the days where product management and product managers were the king and they pushed and designed things with features and functions, it was more of an, uh, of an inside out versus outside in way of thinking about how we brought products to market. And what we're seeing is that, you know, with dealing with massive disruptions in supply chains, you know, I think like McKinsey had a report that every three to four years, we're going to continue to see disruption in supply chains that are going to last one to two months. That has massive impacts, whether you're making backpacks or IoT enabled um, coffee cups to laptops to uh, medical devices. Um, that kind of disruption having an impact on both demand and supply has massive impacts to the business, but also how people have to think about bringing products to market. And then the other side is that, you know, a product has really shifted from a percentage of what used to be typically outsourced. to now how do you think about caring for that customer for life? And what we're seeing is the best product companies are making massive shifts in their business models that are looking for long-term customer lifetime value and product lifetime value. Um, you know, some people talk about it as product led growth, but um, the recurring revenue streams and how that plays into how products get to market, um, again, whether you're doing medical devices or an IoT-enabled coffee cup that says, hey, when that coffee cup gets down to half full, how do I help you go get a discount to go get it refilled at the Starbucks that's only <laughs> from you because it's got it knows where you're at because it's got a GPS-enabled location that knows, boy, I'm going to give you a discount because we're a partner with Starbucks and we're linked. So the way products are going to market and how they're getting monetized is um, really driving a massive disruption in comparison to what we've seen. So Ray, you see a word where you're not selling products, but products become services, services become experiences and experiences even become outcomes. I mean, that's a big shift, so. Yeah, you know, that's a great point. And, you know, we, we've done a lot of survey work 
And when we talked to our customers, you know, it was about selling the offering to now selling a digital experience or an outcome. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give an example. It's, it's one I love because I'm a customer of, of their product and they're a customer of ours. Um, Traeger. Uh, Traeger's been in the grilling market space since 1987. It was a cool pellet grill that came out of an advent of innovation of moving from pellet stoves um, to now becoming one of the best, you know, most best brands on the market for, for grilling. But they don't just sell grills now. Now they sell you, you know, an experience. So in addition to having the grill, you've got your mobile app that feeds you your recipes. You've got the ability to buy recurring uh, replacement for your pellets uh, on as an e-commerce website. So yeah, you can go to your hardware Ace or, uh, or whatever hardware store to pick up your pellets. You can also get it directly from an e-commerce site. You can sign up and go, you know, with Matt Pittman who has Meat Church, you know, best spices and learn how to do <laughs> the best brisket. And he's selling and collaborating with his spices and I can become a master chef, like a, a masterclass through Traeger.com. And then now you've got Traeger provision. So like Uber Eats, they'll sell, sell the whole meal kit. So if I want to do a St. Patty's Day brisket with cabbage and everything, I get the meal in the box. So the point being is I'm loyal to Traeger and I get an experience that I get the best meal outcome and I can, I can prepare something like the best chefs in the world. So that's just one example, but in every product company we talk to, um, one other quick example, Sunday, Sunday Lawn Care, uh, a company that sells lawn care as a service. So they geolocate and they say, Ray, your house is in San Jose. Your soil looks like this. We recommend it's in spring. This is what you need to feed this thing so you can have a green lawn with the least amount of water in a drought in California. And they know exactly what they need to do. So I get a better outcome of having a green lawn with the lowest water intake. But it's those kinds of experiences that we're seeing everybody that's, that's designing, building products, trying to move towards. I love honey bacon or holy voodoo. All you, Vala. You made me hungry. I'm hung I want to be outside. On I'm hungry now. Brisket. That was awesome. Great stories. When we had the chief of staff for Jeff Bezos on our show, and we asked him why Amazon is such a successful company. And he, he's two words. He says, working backwards. And in fact, it ended up being a title of his book. And he talked about how Amazon works backwards from the customer uh, uh, needs and expectations, and that's how they design products and optimize processes. When people talk about your company, what I hear most often is Propel helps their clients become uh, and adopt more customer-first approach. And when they do that, they can accelerate from concept to customer and delight their stakeholders. What does a customer-first approach mean? And how do you guys work with these incredible fast-growing companies to ensure they adopt that mindset, philosophy, and culture inside of their business? Yeah, uh, it's a great question, Vala. Um, you know, I know Salesforce, where you're at, has is, you know, Product 360, all about the customer, excuse me, Customer 360 on that side and, and really putting the customer in the center of things. And again, that's the fundamental shift that we've seen people look at the experience, the needs, um, thinking about how they can own the customer for life, just like we were talking about with Traeger or Sunday there. But, you know, products where product managers and teams and chief revenue officers now 
are much more in tune to what's going mm -hmm. on with their customers. And we're now bringing the product and supply chain teams and the chief revenue officers and the sellers and then the channels that they're being sold through and bringing those together. And these teams generally had been siloed in the past. And when mm -hmm. I was a product manager 20, 30 years ago, we didn't want sales and marketing to know what we're doing until it was done. And then we would throw it over the wall and hope that they would be able to take it and sell it. You can't do that anymore. <laughs> Come you, on, Waterfall was great. We love Waterfall. <laughs> you're exactly right, Ray. Waterfall was at design, make, market, sell, service. But you know, today in the age of, no pun intended, disruption, you got this compressed innovation cycle, you got global competitors. And so the Davids, the small companies, can beat the Goliaths. And if you don't have the, the path and the infrastructure to understand what's going on with your customer and your market and be able to react, um, you're, you're, you're gonna lose at the end of the day. And, and those companies that have been around that have been doing things the old way, you know, are gonna, are gonna fall by the wayside and, and, and disappear off the S&P 500 because the Davids today are tomorrow's Goliaths. Yeah, 100%. Ray's been talking about that for years. What, 62% of Fortune 500 have disappeared since year 2000? It's amazing. Yeah, we've been seeing like a, this huge shift that's going on out there, and especially what you're talking about in this space, you know, things are moving so quickly, right? And, and, and this is part of your, what you're talking about, how to get to a customer first approach, how do we get to your, but they're winners and losers, right? I mean, why are some companies failing? Like, what are they missing, right? Because this is not your, I don't know, PLM from 20 years ago. I mean, this is very, very different. And what are people doing differently? It sounds like there's a lot of embedding, like products are just not products, right? I mean, you know, you can't just have an isolated product that's being launched here. Well, Ray, I think that the thing that's shifted is, like I said, it was an inside out approach. Yeah. And the early adoption of these older systems 20 years ago, I mean, I'll use, I use Salesforce as an example and then relate it to us. You know, when I started, you know, 30, 40 years ago, we had a contact database called Goldmine that ran on DOS. <laughs> All you did was basically have an electronic business card. And then it evolved to, you know, Siebel and Siebel started putting processes around selling. But then when you brought in, you know, the Salesforce approach of marketing cloud, sales cloud, service cloud, thinking about the whole customer, it shifted. Our category of bringing products to market, you know, if you think about it, um, we're, we're trying to help companies innovate, but the category, the pillar um, in the enterprise software space was very stagnant, you know, from the yes. 90s and early 2000s. It was kind of the carryover of the Y2K ERP mm -hmm. side mindset, and then it stalled. There were three or four big companies that all got acquired and they stopped innovating. And we started this company seven years ago um, basically because I had been working at a company, Aptus and in Vendavo, price optimization for customers and Aptus, which was how you go from quote to cash in, yeah. in that space. And I finally got used to understanding what the customer needs was. I was a product guy my whole life. Now yeah. for you know seven, eight years, I was thinking about the customer. And I had that aha moment that really product success is about market success. And if we don't combine the customer and the product, from concept to customer, kind of like we were doing quote to cash, yeah. we were missing out yeah. on a big boat. And so you play that, and then you've got now CIOs and C-suite folks that are dealing with compression, margin issues, supply chain, product and how products get to market. And then certainly with COVID and the shift with e-commerce and omni-channel selling, 
is forcing the product companies to rethink how they go to market and how they bring these teams together. So to your point, winners and losers in a big market disruption, people are making these shifts to omni-channel, omni-channel selling outcomes and recurring revenue streams. And the companies that aren't thinking about it this way, they are going to be the ones that are going to be the losers and kind of in the graveyard of the S&P 500, or they're going to get bought by PE firms at a, at a low cost because they just didn't hit the growth firms. Yep. And we're going to see roll-ups. Yep. I, mean, I think we're going to see, we may be heading into that now with you know inflation in the economy. There's good companies that aren't great companies, kind of like the good to great side, yeah. uh, you know, if we think about that. But the ones that get it and are investing now, they're going to come out the backside of this, whether it's a refresh uh, recession or whatever we have ahead of us, uh, this digital transformation um, and using the, 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 the headwinds to turn into tailwinds, I think is going to really shift some of the, the, the good companies to become great companies. Absolutely. Ray, this is my final question. Uh, we just published Salesforce uh, uh, State of the Connected Customer, uh, a biennial survey that we published. It was 17,000 business buyers and consumers around the globe. Uh, first key finding, nine out of 10 respondents to the survey said the experience a company provides is as important as the product or service. And the two companies you referenced early on on the show clearly articulate the importance of creating an experience in addition to the products and traditional services they provide. The second key finding I thought was that the average consumer, business buyer, engages with a brand across 10, on average, 10 different channels. So from messaging to social to mobile apps, web, company portal, so on and so forth. So my question to you is, you've been talking about technology companies, you've spent your whole life shaping and accelerating growth of technology companies. Do you feel tech providers are catching up to the market needs, this decentralized, digital first, hyper knowledge sharing economy that we're a part of? Uh, Great, great question. Um, You know, I think we're still a bit in the early innings. I think things are going more deeper into industry vertical clouds instead of having the horizontal technology that you had to spend a lot of money to configure, to put your lingua franca of how you did business. So I think that's the big shift from like the IT spend, vertical clouds that are tuned, know my business. And then in a SaaS model, I can innovate because I'm getting the wisdom of crowds of this new industry solution that I'm getting benchmark. I'm getting benchmark capabilities built in based on the companies that are delivering industry clouds. That's number one. Number two, I think the big thing that we're seeing is a shift um, is that the, when you close the product value, you know, the product gap between product teams, supply chains, the commercial teams that are trying to bring them to market, there's going to be an advent of what we believe is product operations. And you've had sales operations mm-hmm. on one side, you've got product mm-hmm. management that have been more feature function. How do you get the dev teams to work together? But there's a bridge here of a product operation person that's going to own profitability, margin, availability, really understanding the imbalance between supply and demand and ensuring that if you're trying to take a company and, and, and grow at five points of margin and you're going to go into new markets, you're going to have to orchestrate the whole office. It's not a back no. office or a front no. office problem. And this product operations team is that bridge to close that gap. So I think there's going to be some new C-suite folks that are going to talk about product operations in that side. That'll be a growing area. And all these physical product companies, and Vala, you're, you're in the software space, 
we're in software, we have customer success management. We have to worry about recurring revenue streams and renewals. Product companies are gonna to have to worry about recurring revenue streams and renewals. And it's not, it's customer lifetime value, but it's product lifetime value, you know, forever, like Traeger, Sunday, every product company. So I think that's, that's where this gap is gonna close and it's gonna just accelerate as more and more new codes move to these recurring revenue streams. Yeah. Nuggets of wisdom, Ray. Wow. A lot to unpack in that last answer, folks. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so yeah, much. I know. We're, we're definitely seeing definitely a shift in where PLM's going, definitely how people are getting products out the door. And I uh, really appreciate uh, your insights here. Uh, here we are, Ray Hine, CEO and founder of Propel. You can follow him on Twitter at Ray underscore Hine underscore Propel. I think there's an underscore after that, too. So anyways, yeah. So thank you so much for being on the show. Happy Friday. And uh, maybe we'll see you back in the green room. Thanks, Thanks, Ray. Ray. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Take care. Uh, that was incredible uh, answer. Uh, the last, the last piece. A lot to unpack there. Okay. You know, this is how we do it at Disrupt TV. One amazing CEO after another. <laughs> Our next guest, Steve Lucas, CEO of ICIMS, the talent cloud company. Steve joined ICIMS in 2020 as the chief executive officer, bringing 25 years of extensive leadership experience in enterprise software. Steve is leading the vision and plans of ISIMS into its next phase of growth and product innovation and strategic acquisitions. Steve is focusing on solidifying his position as the world leading talent cloud company. Every executive I meet with today, top priority, recruitment and retention of talent. Uh, Steve brings expertise in building strong workforce from holding senior executive roles at global enterprise software organizations, including Adobe, Marketo, SAP, Salesforce, <laughs> and business objective. Uh, during his tenure as CEO of Marketo, Steve led a multi-year product expansion growth strategy resulting in the acquisition of the company by Adobe in 2018, making it the largest acquisition in Adobe's history. You can follow Steve on Twitter at nstevenlucas. Welcome, Steve, to the Shrub TV. Thank you. I am thrilled to be here. It's good to see both of you again. Thank you, sir. Thank you. <laughs> hey, Steve, it is awesome having you here. You are legendary and legendary for many reasons, um, for your exits, for your leadership, and for what's been going out there. And so when you told me you were going to join iSims, I was like, aren't you done? Aren't you done? I mean, you've done so much. He's too um, young to be you done, me, Ray. What are you talking about? <laughs> he's too young to be done. That's he true. looks healthier than and both so, of us. <laughs> Oh, oh, 49 years young, but this year's the big awesome. See, that's what I'm saying. He's, he, he could be out playing golf, doing all the other things. And I'm like, why did you choose iSims, right, to join them? And this was a while back, right? And of course, I mean, there's some similarities that you're talking about between your last company, Marketo and Adobe and iSims. So let's start there. So it's very, very interesting areas. So Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I look, I've been in the world of enterprise software for technically 27 i'm you know i say 25 years plus and i'm gonna keep it there um so 25 years plus and uh you know worked for some great companies as you know you said uh, microsoft adobe uh salesforce.com absolutely and the like and sap of course uh, having been ceo of marketo and now ceo of isims look I, I looked at the world of marketing automation and martech that i came from and then i looked at the world of recruiting and i said look this this world of recruiting can be better served. If you look at what recruiters do, they need to have a sales skill set. They need to have a marketing skill set. What are they selling in marketing? Uh, companies to people. That's what they're doing. They're trying to convince you to come join their company, right? That's a tough job. 
and then I looked at the world of recruiting software and, you know, with the exception of license, uh, the, the reality is, is that not well served, right? Recruiters, they need that sales technology. They need marketing technology. And I just saw iSIMS as an incredible way to bring the marketing automation skill set that I had to the world of recruiters and recruiting. And that's what I've been doing. Um, in the past two years, we've been building something that we call the talent cloud. And the talent cloud is all about that one-stop shop to just help companies find and hire the best talent in the world. I am loving it. It's, uh, you, you should be loving it because it is absolutely top of mind of every executive that I have the privilege of collaborating with. This uh, week, I hosted a CMO dinner in Boston, a dozen CMOs. And we, we kicked off the roundtable talking about top challenges, concerns, uh, and perhaps opportunities. One, two. It was either one or it was number two. Uh, recruitment and retention. And these CMOs represent some of the biggest, most successful companies in the Boston area. And this hybrid work model um, on, on in the office or at home and the mix was the biggest challenge. And then this notion of competitors giving you an opportunity to work from anywhere. Like my company doesn't care where you live. Uh, you could work anywhere in the world and be part of our marketing organization. So these companies, some of the traditional ones, not digital native companies born in the cloud, mobile, social, I call them digital immigrant companies, um, are really struggling. So, so how can Talent Cloud, your company, help these CMOs who are really concerned about keeping their best talent and expanding their teams? Well, it's, it's helping everybody. I mean, right now, so we, we, uh, you know, we, we run a bunch of surveys every year. Um, and then, there, you know, it's just incredible market data that's out there right now. So what, what's fascinating, 92% of business leaders say they're not going to hit their hiring goals this year. So pick an industry, doesn't matter. Healthcare, manufacturing, construction, you're not hitting your hiring goals. You're not delivering on your business objectives. It's simple math, right? But that's where we are. So you've got this massive number of people that, uh, that are saying we're just not going to hit our hiring goals. On top of that, last year alone, we had was it 40, 48 million people, 43 or 48 million, I'll have to confirm, 48 million, no, 43 million, 43 million people quit in the U.S. Wow. last year. Wow, that's, that's crazy. It's insane when, when you think about it, right? And by the way, on, on top of that, 44% um, increase in job postings this year over a record year of job posting growth last wow. year. So 44% more jobs. Guess what happened to applicant activity this year? It's flat, zero. So job postings going through the roof. That means demand for people going through the roof. But the supply of people, skilled labor especially, it's not going anywhere. So if you want to know what, like, where's the great resignation? What's going on with the great resignation? Why is that a thing? Well, it's a thing. Actually, I just, I, I did realize it's actually 48 million people, not just to terrify. Now I remember it's 48 million. <laughs> Huge number. Huge number, regardless. It's yeah. even more terrifying. But the point is, is that when you have these simple but profound supply and demand equations, demand far outstripping supply, what that means is that you've got obviously competition for talent is massively increasing. You look at what uh, Amazon, you know, just a few months ago, they announced that they were massively increasing the amount of compensation they were going to offer people. They basically took limits off corporate jobs. Look at what Microsoft did just a few days ago, same announcement, but your point on remote work, this is profound in the news today or yesterday, 
Apple's head, their, their lead machine learning uh, you know, guy at Apple, he left. And what did he cite? Inflexible work environment at wow. Apple. Wow. At Apple, right? So wow. the point is, is that if companies aren't adapting more quickly to this new world that we live in, and I know it seems obvious, but if, if somebody, an executive gets up on a Tuesday and says, right, it's 2019 again, everybody's going to come into the office, you're going to lose. I agree. I agree. Yeah, no, we're definitely seeing and hearing different things, right? I mean, the banks have been trying for a while to get folks into the office. You've seen like, you know, JP Morgan, you've seen like, you know, Goldman, everyone's trying to get folks into the office and occupancy rates in New York City at this moment are 5% in the city cores. And if that tells you anything in terms of what's going on, but uh, but there are there, there there's a lot of pressure out there in terms of trying to make it work. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see who provides that flexibility. Um, can I talk about this acquisition candidate ID? Is that something that's within bounds? Are we allowed to talk about them? It is yeah. inbounds. We should we should kick it, that ball okay. over. All right, it's inbounds. Good. I just want to make sure because you know yeah. you and I talk a lot about things. I just want to make sure this is inbounds. Um, yeah. So let's talk about candidate ID. I mean, this is a very interesting acquisition, and uh, you know, let's start with like, well, why would you consider this? And this feels like, you know, Marketo for recruiting. <laughs> so I think yeah, you, you, you stuck the landing on that one. It's, it, you know, in, in many respects, it is look, the, the, the challenge that you have when you think about hiring talent at scale, the, the reality is, is that first of all, you have to attract people to your company and you, you're, you're fishing in a lot of different ponds, right? There's, you know, the traditional uh, universities that you're recruiting, there's historically black colleges and universities that you need to be engaged and in investing with. There's, there's just myriad places that you need to go source for talent. That's step one of a hundred step process. Once you have somebody interested, how are they engaged in your, in, in your company culture, unpacking texture, all of that, it, it, personalizing content. It requires marketing automation technology. I know that. I've lived that life. That's the, I think, Ray, that's why you're bringing it up. And that's exactly the point is we looked at this and said, look, you can either have recruiters do all of this work manually, craft emails, send text messages, or you can automate it. And that's what we're doing is we're raising the waterline. So candidate ID in a literal sense is that kind of marketo for recruiting and for recruiters and it changes their jobs instead of me having to handcraft all of this stuff it's automated it's responsive so as a candidate or applicant visit your career site maybe they click on benefits and they really want to understand things like hey what are the benefits for a single parent as a case in point instead of you having to have a meeting to opine on that just have the marketing automation technology deliver that information personalized with texture and authenticity in real time through whatever medium, email, social, mobile, web, it doesn't matter. We can deliver that with candidate ID. That's amazing. Very, very cool. Uh, I, uh, I, I have a 16 year old daughter and she competes uh, in her high school as part of a DACA, a business uh, oriented sort of classes and competition with other high schools. And they had just won a regional event. And, and so the school, uh, on Instagram, reference the team. And my daughter comes home and a couple of business schools followed her on Instagram. And she started researching these schools. They were not on her radar, but the mere fact she got excited that they were excited and interested in her. So I thought, wow, what an amazing way to recruit 
uh, college students. My oldest goes to Bentley at $80,000 a year tuition. So, you know, I'm like, oh, let's, you know, I'm, I'm never going to retire because I have three really smart kids uh, who are all going to want to end up going to good schools. But to me, it was just a reminder that use of unstructured data and connecting organically uh, is a wonderful way. And it works with digital natives and Gen Z and so uh, my question to you is, are you excited about the ev evolution of machine learning and AI and ability to really use unstructured data and in an organic, graceful way, engage with talent, get them excited about the company culture and vision, and then use that power of pull to bring recruits into the company uh, versus, you know, spray and pray and hope that they're engaged and interested in what the company's doing? Well, it's a great question. And look, we're going to live in the land of hyperbole for a minute, just because it will serve, serve a really good purpose today. So in the land of hyperbole, your future when it comes to engaging applicants, candidates and the like and recruiting people to your company, it can either be get a really boring job description, probably heavily edited by legal, stick it on your website yeah. and wait. Yeah. Or you can engage candidates in an authentic manner, video driven, right? Harness the power of your employees. We have this technology we call Video Studio. Internally, we lovingly refer to it as the TikTok for career sites. Love but that. Instead of spending $2 million on high production video that you know five people are gonna watch, and it's, it's not real. Yeah. Instead, harness the power of your employees. And by the way, many of whom love TikTok, right? Yeah. Get their phones, let them point it at themselves and let them rant and rave. They are your brand advocates about your, your company, your values, what they love about your business and do it by the hundreds, the thousands. That's what we're doing with Video Studio. And then just make those videos available to people to consume. So I understand from someone who looks like me and sounds like me, mm. that's real. Not, well, here at our company, we pride ourselves. That's not helpful. Yeah. So th this new generation, but I believe all generations, they will benefit from authenticity. So the future, it's authentic, it's engagement through video. Of course, for recruiters, it's going to be automated and more intelligent with AI. But if yeah. you don't start with authenticity, yeah. already lost. Is that what's been missing all along, Steve? You take someone like yourself, uh, nearly three decade marketing rock star, and you bring marketing into HR and human capital management and recruitment. Is that what's really ultimately the, the, the great storytelling, the great way to educate and inspire in an authentic way where your thoughts and your words and your actions are aligned? Is that what's missing? Because you're right, most companies, it's a filtered job description that will just put you to sleep uh, with somewhat unrealistic <laughs> expectations. I need a Web3 metaverse with six years of experience. Like, what are you talking about? Like, it's, it's amazing. Some of the emerging tech job descriptions where the technology hasn't been around for two years and we're, we've got this boilerplate six-year experience. It so I just think it's, totally, it's just amazing what you're doing. It's what's missing. And the, the picture of the guy on that book right behind you, what I learned from him is <laughs> he's the best storyteller in the business. In a good way. He can tell a story. And last time I checked, you know, humans, we evolved sitting around campfires telling each other stories. We love movies. We love songs. They all yeah. tell stories. 
But yet, for some reason, in the world of, of recruiting and, and pulling talent into your organization, we've decided to make it sterile and boring. And that's what we're raging against. And that's where the disruption has to come from, is storytelling and authenticity. This is how you reach and move people, not job descriptions. You have the most important company, in my opinion, at this moment. Uh, your work is going to be incredibly impactful. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. Hey, and, and the other thing is like, as you're thinking about like projecting into the future, right? Because now you're sitting on this data, all this insights, you can see kind of where the trends are happening, right? Like what the hot jobs are, you know, what, what people are recruiting for, what's going on. Uh, that takes us to another level though, in terms of strategy, right? If you're advising CEOs today about what they need to do to transform their organizations so that, you know, they're more attractive to candidates, very, very scarce candidates. Are there, is there any advice that you'd provide them to say, hey, these are a couple things that you probably want to start with, you know, along with the authenticity and some of the things that we were talking about earlier? Yeah. Uh, oh, my gosh. Yes, I would. <laughs> uh, so first of all, if you ask every CEO or COO or CMO out there, what Salesforce automation tool do you use? They're going to know the answer just like that. But if you ask them, and most of the time it's Salesforce, but if you ask them, what tool or what solution do you use to find and hire people? They'll go, oh, mm. uh, you know, I, how is that a how is that a possibility? Yet this is the world that we live in. How can you not know this? Number one, and then number two. Imagine a sales scenario where we said, you know what, just just kind of use Excel and and sell a deal and never capture any insight into what you did right when you closed the deal, what you did wrong, who's more effective or not, right? That's what Salesforce automation does. Well, guess what? iSIMS, that's what we do for hiring. So my counsel to a CEO is harness the data, capture it every time you either hire or don't hire someone and use that information to better your process. So you're more precise in who goes into the top of the funnel and ultimately who you hire. And that will also drive better retention. So we deliver that. That's where you know our, our vision said simply is to be that you know, a uh, pipeline or funnel automation technology that gives you all of that data and rich insight. So you get better and better infinitely at hiring. That's true. How, uh, can you tell me about the onboarding price process? I'm a customer, I'm a CEO. My, I want my company to be the best place in terms of recruitment and retention. When I buy your iSIM solution, how long before I'm ready to, you know, uh, test drive the solution and implement and, and put it into practice? Well, it totally depends on the size of the company. Size of the company. Yeah. We, we serve, I mean, you can be up and running in a matter of weeks on iSense, but there's also months. We have companies that, you know, as a case in point, so Amazon.com uses iSense. They've hired over a million people wow. using iSense. Wow. So this is, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that's out there, right? But, wow. you know, you have these massive global companies, multinational, where they have 40, 50, 60 sites. So we're deploying across all of those. But our right. point is there's a difference between hiring talent, which you can use lots of tools for that, but hiring talent at scale where you're making hundreds, thousands, or hundreds of thousands of hires per year, that's when you need iSIMS. I can see why you are attracted to be the CEO of the company. I mean, you've got the largest companies in the world as clients and you know serving a need that we're all concerned about. So now, Ray, you have yeah. your answer. 
why he's not golfing. I've got my there. answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. yeah. That's no, amazing. it definitely makes a lot of sense here. And Steve, thank you so much for being here. We're Steve Lucas, CEO of iSims, the talent cloud company. You can follow him on Twitter at nstevenlucas. And of course, um, you can always catch up with his insightful tweets. And of course, you're doing a lot uh, talking about talent cloud out there. So follow him for some very interesting insights as well as the iSims blog. So thanks a lot, Steve. We'll catch thanks, up with man. you. So Thank you, Steve. See ya. Thank you. Wow. Okay, I want to pause a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> okay so I don't, I don't. this is this is the this is the this is the cleanup hitter spot we call it affectionately where we bring the best and brightest people we know to bring it don't home for us our next guest as as you all know because she's a first ballot hall of fame disrupt inductee uh, Liz Miller, uh, Vice President and Principal Analyst at Constellation Research, focused on org-wide team sport known as customer experience. Every CEO that's been on the show has touched upon this important, important need. While covering all core pillars of CX, sales, service, and marketing, Liz spends time zeroing in on business demands on today's chief marketing officers. The evolution of customer engagement, the rising requirement for new security posture that counts the threat to brand trust. Prior to joining Constellation, Liz oversaw research program and content for Chief Marketing Officer Council. You can follow Liz, an awesome follow, on Twitter at Liz K. K. Miller, M-I-L-L-E-R. Welcome back, Hall of Fame inductee to the Shop TV. I'm <laughs> mad at you. You know I'm mad at you. You know why I'm mad at you, Fala, because it's like you start by saying, oh, we've got all these great CEOs. And then I just picture like the little rolling text on the bottom that's going to say, and also Liz. Like, we've got these amazing thinkers. Oh, and by the way, we're going to have Liz on too. Like, it's, I'm, I feel every, like I'm in brackets. Every CEO <laughs> is looking for a CMO whisperer, and that's who you are. So I'm welcome. telling you, it's crazy. It's crazy. And, and also, I think that Steve Lucas is just trying to avoid me because, you know, he's, I love Steve. He's awesome. He was great. It was great. And Ray was great too. It was an awesome show. But they both said really important things on there, right? Because it's it's true. Like we're changing. Hey, you know what resonated I... most with you? What, what resonated? Yeah, I mean, what resonated great most story with you? Two great storytellers, two great CEOs. Uh, God, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I think that Ray, Ray's conversation about, you know, that's just the change of the process of product yeah. was really resonated with me. But I, but I got to say what really hit home was Steve talking about talent, right? Because yeah. I think that it's really, really easy to get caught up in a lot of the headlines of like, oh, the great resignation. And when we see those headlines, it's super easy to just discount them. Like, ah, uh, it's nothing. But when you start to realize just how big of that gap, I mean, November was the largest month. November of 2021 was the single largest month for voluntary job disconnections. So when you just walk out, like when you're just gone, right? You leave, you haven't, you know, you haven't been fired. You haven't been terminated. You haven't been laid off. People just left their jobs in November before the holidays, which is very atypical. December, the last day of December 2021, according to the Department of Labor, we had the largest numbers of open jobs ever available. So you have million, all these right? all these jobs available. There, there's a disconnect, right? And, and in marketing, this is especially palpable. And so I'm, I'm right at the tail end, like literally like the last couple of folks that I'm getting to have complete the survey of kind of what, what I do here with Constellation, we do an annual study of CX and CMO 
titles and I ask a bunch of questions like, hey, what technology are you looking at? You know, what are your main goals and mandates? But this year I asked who was deeply involved in their CX team? Like who's on that squad? You know, so are, are you bringing in sales? Are you bringing in marketing? Is digital? Where's the CEO? Where's the board? But then I threw everyone for a loop and I asked everybody, okay, where's legal? Where's risk? Um, where's HR? And I asked, who's a collaborator? Who's a partner? Who's a roadblock? And who's missing in action? And I think everyone can probably guess, like procurement, finance, you know, like they're all roadblocks. Interestingly, IT is now considered a collaborator and a partner. So they're doing great, which is awesome, especially when we're talking about this world digital experience. One of who's missing in action? HR. Oh, wow. Yep, yep. And when you yeah. have HR being the person whose CDOs, CMOs, chief service, chief sales officers feel is missing in action from the ability to drive home CX strategies and EX strategies, there's a problem there, right? There's a there's an inherent disconnect. And so I think a lot of the things that Steve was talking about really hit home because you know, the reality is, is not having those advanced technologies, not having that connected data, not having that total candidate picture of what process and who we're engaging with, mm. it, it's damaging our capacity to deliver on our growth strategies. Why do you and think HR is missing? Why do you think HR is missing from the CX oh, we, we We treat them like they're a waiter coming to take our order, right? Like we're at a Chinese- okay. lack, lack of authority, like, lack of authority. Yeah, like no, we sit there and we, you know, like think about how you hire. Like think about how, I, I know that when I was hiring teams and I would look at HR and HR would be like, okay, so what's the position? I'm like, no, 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 let me give you the 10 things I want off the menu, right? Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna order my a la carte box and you just go get me that person. And I think that, you know, in the same way that CMOs got called to the table for not having strategic conversations with the CIO, you know, we used to treat the CIO like they were the waiter, like, I want these 10 technologies and have them working right away, please. Like, bring them out to my table. But that we've, we've kind of started to rectify that. It's not perfect. You know, everyone who's a CIO, don't jump on Twitter and call me evil for saying that we've solved the problem. I know that we That's have. Liz K. Miller, for those of you yeah, who Liz watching. I think that we're starting but, to. We haven't yet done that in HR and we have to. But back to your point, right, with HR, I mean, those employee experiences, those work experiences, I mean, they are, they're often not covered, right? And and that's something you're doing uh, next week, actually, at ah, the uh, Ambient Experience Summit, right? Which is like pretty interesting. Talk, talk about how CX and employee experience are coming together, so. Yeah, no, that's it's it's great. So we are we're we're hosting the Ambient Experience Summit in Manhattan. We're taking over the Big Apple or like a block of it. Like I'm not going to take over the whole thing. I'm just going to take a block. But we're trying to bring this conversation together because here's what happens: people focus in on customer experience, and we we like we double down. We're going to have all these strategies. We're going to bring data to it. It's going to be this really rich, robust strategy. It's an enterprise-wide team sport. And then we look at employee experience and we're like, hey, HR, what you got for us? Right? There, we're not as involved. We're not bringing that together. And there are a lot of critics of things called you know, employee experience. I, I work with one of them. You know? and, and I think you know, when, when I have these conversations with our colleague Holger, he's very right in saying that people talk a big game about ex employee experience, but there's not a lot of those tools and solutions. There's not a lot of the processes. It, it, a lot of it is lip service, right? Yet employees are walking out. We have to focus on employee experience. Mm -hmm. Because the reality is, 
who delivers our customer experiences, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yes, we're if we all move into Ray's world of like the machines have taken over and they're doing it all, pretty soon it's going to be them. But at the end of the day, there's always going to be a person that's somehow still involved in that delivery. But you still right? want there's a human. All... You definitely always still exactly. want a human at some point. You want that. Yeah. You want that human assistant, like in that roadmap, Ray, that you've developed of like how we get through those stages. There's always that human interaction, that human assisted stage, and I think. We've kind of forgotten about that. We've we've kind of thrown digital at it, but there's always that person. Yeah. And I think that what employee experience is really looking to do is acknowledge that we need to make that person's work about that person as opposed to making people change their work styles in order to fit our technologies, right? So you're starting to see a lot of tools doing that. You're starting to see a lot of, um, you know, capacity in that regard, especially in sales. We're looking to optimize how the seller is engaging, especially in customer service, right? We want to make sure that the agent is empowered to be the expert, that the agent is actually working in a workspace in a canvas that's really comfortable to them. Because if they can do their work better, if they can actually yep. do yep. the work service, they're going to deliver an awesome experience. Right? And it, it kind of fundamentally comes down to people like being good at their jobs. Right? Like no, one, no one takes a job to be bad at it. Yeah. There was a memo that was leaked. There was a memo that was leaked from Disrupt TV where Ray apparently is looking to replace me with a chat ball. You know, again, I, I keep Don't telling him that, that. You know, the people yeah, thing is, it's all about That would never happen. That would never happen. Well, you, know, you should know that it was one of Ray's clones that typed that. Yeah, so yeah. Just, right, right, right. 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 I just right. don't you know, worry yeah. about it. Ray, Ray has been when the, the clones are out of sync, I can't help years, you. Know, last I don't know what they're doing. When the clones start to write the memos, now we're in trouble. Now we're in lots of trouble. Speaking of important memos, there was a research that was recently launch sponsored by Salesforce, where Edelman Group and Stanford and Columbia University looked at the link between CX and EX. Yeah. And the report uh, found that on average, on average, in companies that uh, ignore the EX part of the equation, again, I don't know how you can expect customers to love your company before your employees do, uh, but companies that ignore the EX part of the equation, on average, are leaving up to 50% of revenue on the table. But that number yeah. seemed pretty high to me. I was like, that's just a big number. What are your thoughts about real impact? Because you work with the best and brightest CMOs, all company sizes. How but not in Boston we... since I wasn't invited to dinner. But whatever, Vala, uh, we'll take care of that later. <laughs> fine, fine. It, it was, you know, in the spirit of change, it was a Boston-only CMO dinner. I don't know why we limited to Boston. By the way, I got to talk to you about I'm just saying, I know where Boston is. And, the, you know, I went to hybrid work. <laughs> The hybrid work was such a challenge yeah. for one of the CMOs, I won't name the company or the CMO said, look, we've got an older CEO, older board, and their expectation is people in the office. And uh -huh. even though for two years, we've hit peak performance in revenue, <laughs> EBITDA, all of this, yeah. they believe you could even stretch it more if you came back to the office. So it, so I can imagine how the CHRO in that company you're right, may mm -hmm. not have a seat at the table because you've got a legacy mindset at the very top. Uh, it, but, but again, going back to, do you really believe companies are leaving that much potential income revenue yeah. on the table when they're ignoring the employee experience? 
Yeah, I, I would I would actually say it, it might even be more, to be honest with you, because it's it's hard to quantify. It's you know, it goes back to that saying it's it, you can't know what you don't know. Right. And if you right. don't have the solutions, you can track it. If you don't have that connectivity where you have put KPIs around how your workforce is working, how your workforce is engaging, how that experience is being delivered. If you seem to think that the only thing you need to measure when it comes to employee success is, did you hit your numbers? Did you hit your goals? Right? So we have that old operational mindset of how many calls did you take? How many calls did you deflect? How many people did you bring back into the fold? Right? If, If those are your contact center metrics, you are missing an opportunity in your contact center, right? Like, if if your if your metrics with marketers are how many emails did your direct yeah. campaigns open, yeah. you're Absolutely. stuck in that you're stuck in that legacy. So you can have the big talk and you can say that employee experience is super important to your brand, but with the way that manifests is you put a foosball table in the cafeteria and invited everyone to come back. <laughs> You're yeah. missing an opportunity, yeah. right? Like you're yeah. missing, you're yeah. missing the real experience. And I think it's yeah. very parallel to what we saw with the kind of the, the onset of customer experience, right? Because we didn't listen to the right signals. We didn't listen to the right data. We made big assumptions at the very beginning. So when we yeah. started to deploy customer experience, loved us so much. They just wanted to hear more and yeah. email is cheap. So let's send more of it. Oh, let's add social onto it because now they want to hear from us everywhere. We didn't listen to the right signals that truly helped us create a bi-directional conversation with our customers so that that relationship could grow. We lost sight of that. We're doing the same thing with employees, right? We're doing doing the same thing with employees. Of course, everyone wants to come back to the office. The other interesting thing about kind of some recent studies that I've seen around employee experience is that the reason one of the greatest motivators why younger generations of our employees are leaving is because they have no loyalty or connection to our brands. Wow. Right. So it suddenly becomes this really interesting case for a hybrid or a more flexible operational environment where we're intentionally looking to build those moments where our employees get that connectivity, where they get to have FaceTime with Bala, right? Like they don't, where they get to have FaceTimes with their teams and they can have those engagements. They have some place to go. They yeah. have they have a third place almost. Yeah. Yeah. And then how do we bring all of that together? So it's really about breaking our mindsets of what we think our gut was telling us and starting to listen for those different signals We've got a great roadmap for how that gets done well in CX. How do we apply that to EX? Profound. Yeah, I know. Yeah. We definitely see that in those places. And and one of the other things that you're going to spend some time talking about at that at the event is really, you know, where voices come into place. Voice voices yeah. of you know customers, uh, where experiences. Mm. Um, so talk a little bit more about that. Like what's shifted, right? I mean, since you joined Constellation, right? Like what's changed in terms of the way we look at, you know, where the customer voice comes into play. Yeah, like everything is that is that fair to say? Can I just make that my answer? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. I mean, it's, it's, it's a good answer. Like, wow. I mean, so everything has changed, honestly. So I joined Constellation in 2019, and I think that at that time, we, you know, when we look at, I think especially marketing and service, mm-hmm. we're getting really comfortable in where we believed customer voice could be extracted. 
right? So we were looking at those, we were looking at those signals that our customers were giving us. What type of consent were they giving us? What did they fill out the form? Where were they searching online? Did they call into the call center? You know, were they really mad? Did they post something nice on social? We kind of had these moments. And then someone went out and was like, let's call it zero party data so we can do whatever we want to with it. That's a different type of <laughs> Um, you know, what started to change really was that when when everyone went home and everyone went digital really fast with the pandemic, we started to see this rapid mindset shift about what digital empowered for the customer and what digital empowered for the employee. So suddenly voice came from everywhere. Hmm. Because voice wasn't just about an action. Voice was about nope. sentiment. Voice was about what did I do today? Voice was about my buying intent voice was literally everywhere, right? So how do you now take and wrap your arms around everywhere when you're too focused on channel? And that's where we started to see this really intense focus on not only data and data, data aggregation, but the application of smart AI in the service of the relationship. So we've started to see really smart vendors start to apply AI so that it can take this massive thing called voice and turn it into signal. Right, because at the end of the day, what we all want to do, jump on that signal, jump on that alert that says my customer is ready to buy, my customer is super happy, someone's going out of town and not be creepy, right? Like we don't want to be like, so mm. you're out of town, I'll be right over to your house to steal your things. Like that's weird. But what we want to be able to do <laughs> is start to determine like, hey, is, is Ray about to take a trip? And, you know, he just posted on social that he broke his luggage is the next trip he's going to take with new luggage with his family? Is it like we're taking so many complex things known as life and now we have AI and we're applying it in the service of the relationship. We can be a lot more focused so that now we're taking data and acknowledging that as voice and turning that into signal and then acknowledging that deserves an action. So it's really fundamentally changing how that happens. I think the biggest change we're seeing is in customer service. I mean, I'm super excited about what's happening in service. Yeah. Yeah. It is yeah. just a big super shift that's going on. space. Yeah. And I mean, you're seeing AI being put into like, not just like we're used to like AI helps a smart call, get routed yeah. to the right person. Yeah. We've been talking about that for like, you know, like yeah. it feels like a decade now, but now we're starting to see this empowerment of the agent to have a human real meaningful conversation with a customer who is already self-triaged most of their problem yeah, right? yeah. through self-service and through smart content delivery. And yeah. now they're having a really meaningful person conversation with the expert that they want to talk to. Yeah. That's that pretty awesome. Experience. Yeah. When do, when done well, when when you have when you can deliver contextual intelligence in real time to a customer facing entity, marketing, sales service, where they bolster their sense and response capabilities using, for example, ML, um, where it, prescriptive analytics, where you tell them this is what you should do next because it has the highest probability of success. When you can create value at that speed of need, that's awesome. And if services organizations can do that, they will be the best tool in a marketeer's toolbox. Because oh, yeah. customer service. Imagine knowing that. It's, yeah. right. Imagine marketing getting that intelligence of like, hey, this is oh what's really moving the needle and because of this call. Absolutely. I mean, it just it changes your vantage point. But we got to get rid of the silos and we got, you know, there's there's okay. lots of steps. It's, we it's get. hard. It, it's hard work. It's, it's hard. hard. But you can't do it without 
these emerging technologies like you know yeah. NLP and ML and because as Ray has said in the past when when these algorithms make decisions on thousands of vectors simultaneously you and I well you can probably do thousands I can do like five <laughs> so, like so maybe for some choices so, maybe. <laughs> so you have to but 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 you've always said this you know it's culture it's people it's process and lastly yeah. technology you can't just become a revered brand because you got cool technology. No, because now you just got really fast, bad culture. I can put the coolest technology onto bad culture and now I just got really fast, bad culture. Wow. Ray, uh, you know, Something we really don't want. Mind. We are yeah, totally yeah, out don't of that. Do that. Yeah, don't, don't anyone go do that. Again, I don't want to hear it on Twitter that I told everybody to go automate bad culture. No. Yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. And that CIOs need to do more and CHROs right. need to get a seat at the table. Yeah. Liz K. Miller. We're... At Liz K. Miller. <laughs> We're... Quote. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Hey, you'll see Liz and uh, Diane. They're leading the uh, Ambient Experience Summit awesome. in New York, awesome. May 31st through June 1st. And we're also doing our Ambient Experience Leaders Awards, the X100. Um, actually, I think we're doing it at the Harvard Club. So uh, if you guys yeah, are around, June let us know. And, uh, yeah, if you're in New York, we might have a few tickets left. A, I may or may not have a pass. So if you really, I'm just saying, hit me up. I'll be there. I'll be there. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Liz Thanks, invites Liz. me to her events, and of course, I'm short-sighted, and I don't invite her to the CMO dinner. That's and fine. Up, That's fine. But, but I'll do better next time. I'll do better. Okay, next time. you you get two choices. Uh, you can join us for Italian food, or you can join us for Korean barbecue on the thirty first. Choose your so own just adventure for dinner. Choose your own adventure dinner. Choose your own adventure dinner. It's gonna be awesome. I'm gonna I'm gonna make it to both. I'm telling you, I'm find a way to do that. <laughs> They're nine blocks away. You should be able to pull it off. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, thanks a lot, Liz. Thanks for being here. Happy Friday. Thank you, Liz. Cheers. Ray, Steve, Liz have expanded my mind. And I will be watching this episode again this weekend because all of them dropped incredible nuggets of wisdom. My favorite part of the show, Ray, please summarize the last hour. With your key takeaways. <laughs> the hardest part of the hour. Um, okay, so, so let's take a step back. We've got massively new business models that are in place. Uh, customer expectations are changing. Uh, worker expenses, expectations are changing. And what's happening is like we're in the middle of this massive shift. Uh, and, and this shift, I mean, you're seeing it, right? New companies are being created to actually adopt to these shifts and these new expectations are there. So, so let's take what Ray Heim was talking about on the you know, new way of looking at PLM. Um, you can't just build a product anymore. It can't sit alone. It's, it's got to be connected. It's got to be thinking about next best action. It's got to be able to collect insight and use that to build new products or offerings, right? Uh, if you're thinking about talent and what's happening in the world of talent, right, we, we can't just uh, use the same models we had in the past and hope we get the same results. I mean, we've got different business conditions. We can't find talent, right? We can't attract or keep talent, right? But we also have to bring back, you know, models that actually allow for that engagement 
engagement, which we don't always have. I mean, think about all the salespeople who aren't sitting in a bullpen at the moment learning from each other. There's something lost there. Can you recreate that digitally? Um, should that be back into the office? Do we still need a sales bell? I mean, that's an example of like where that goes. And then, of course, you know, Liz is talking about where experiences are going. And, and if you look at customer experiences, supplier experiences, you know, product experiences, employee experiences, I mean, that's where we bring that all together at the Ambient Experience Summit and uh, really having that conversation with, with you know, an intimate group of about 100 people uh, at, in New York. So, so that's kind of where we are. We've got new, new things to look at. Um, things are changing. We're going to call these very, very different things. Like three years from now, Vala, you are going to look back at this episode and say, oh my God, that was a really interesting point of time in history when all these things were changing at the same time. Absolutely. What a great summary. People, products, processes, all being disrupted in ways we never expected two and a half years ago. And uh, yeah, this is the new norm. And uh, you better stay adaptable and flexible and empathetic and authentic, because if you don't, people will go work somewhere else. We have choices today more than, more than ever before. Next week, episode 281, we have Steve Hoffman, venture investor, chairman and CEO of Founders Space. We have Mike Nugent, Managing Director of Vestigo Ventures. He's joined with Ian Sheridan, Managing Director and Co-Founder of Vestigo Ventures. And lastly, Ryan David Williams, Founder of Ashbury. So we have four extraordinary- Ooh, He's the Dow lawyer. He's like he's one of the, the top lawyers That's right. That's right. We're going we're gonna to learn about distributed autonomous organizations from Ryan David Williams. So get your popcorn ready, fasten your seatbelt. Next week's episode is going to be extraordinary. If it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV. Thank you for watching. Please recommend guests for the rest of the year to Ray, myself, and our producer, L. We'll do our best to get your favorite business leader, entrepreneur, author, venture capitalist into uh, uh, and onto Disrupt TV. Thanks, everyone.